Let's stand open our Bibles to Acts chapter 9 tonight. Look what it says, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel to me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I want to talk to you for just a few minutes tonight on the calling of God on the life of a man. I think there's confusion concerning the subject. We've seen here at Capital City men called out over the entirety of its history. I thank God. Uh, I don't think anyone should minimize whatever calling God has on their life. When we consider Saul here, his salvation, and there's immediate, we see something in Scripture unique, the uniqueness of God's call on every life, and you make a mistake to try to compare what God wants you to do, your race, your calling, God's plan specifically for your life. You'll live a frustrated life if you make any comparisons at all. Uh, can you imagine had Barnabas compared his calling to Saul's? And we see he was the leader at the beginning and ended up being the second man to Paul. Paul's ministry definitely grew in scope and greatly outshone the life and ministry of Barnabas, that doesn't make him less. It doesn't make him uh, someone less qualified. It just means God has specific plans and purposes for each person. And you want to help uh, your children, your young people, those in your ministry understand that. But God, from the very beginning, had a great task planned that included great suffering. And we have to understand it is God, through the Spirit... That calls men. Now, here's what we want to do. I, boy, I'd love to see a host of young men called into the ministry. But young men, here's what you've got to understand about this. Full-time ministry is often confused with full-time pay. Not, not very many people get full-time pay for full-time ministry. When you consider ministry, we often think of a position. We, we think of a pastor. We think of an evangelist. We think of a missionary. Full-time ministry is you serving God full-time. This is about you serving Him. Whether or not you have a designated title or position, you're supposed to be reaching the lost and helping people and living for God all the days of your life. And if you don't get a dime for that over the course of your life, that's okay. This is about serving God no matter what the reward. In this case, we consider Paul full-time ministry, but we don't find a place where he was paid full-time. The tent maker and the majority of pastors over the centuries since the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, most have been tent makers. Most have had to pull double duty in trying to find a way to make it financially. But young man, if I could call, I would make a mistake in calling because I don't know the hearts of men. And I can't foresee the future. And we're talking about a sovereign God that sits in heaven. And you want to be very careful about putting yourself in a place where you think you know better than God who ought to be called and how they ought to be called and what their specific purpose is in life. Here's what we want to do at Cap City. Boy, we want to train everyone to be prepared for any service that God might call them to do. 
We never want to confuse a call to preach with a call to pastor. There are many men in this auditorium that are called to preach. God might turn that into a call to pastor. But uh, many, I'd say most, that are called to preach don't end up pastoring a church. And God uses them, different ministries, sometimes prisons, sometimes uh, universities and Bible colleges and junior churches and assistants. And you think God... For each one, I thank God for the men of this church and the calling of God uh, in, in the use of the men of this church. But we understand that God gets to pick and choose and direct the young people. Uh, here's what you want to do. The first thing we looked at this morning when after Saul sees the Lord Jesus Christ, his very first response is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Let's, let's all look towards heaven and not towards the pastor. And let's say that together to him. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Let's say it one more time. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Would that be good for every person to say, every woman Every child, every teen, it doesn't matter your age, no matter what stage of life you're in, you ought to wake up and say, Lord, I want you to know I'm totally surrendered. I, I believe God was immediately upon this man because he knew there was an absolute and total surrender from the very beginning. Now, I talk to pastors, and this comes up on a regular basis. There's a concern because conferences, missions conferences and camps, uh, I remember the 80s, my, my life doesn't precede that. You'd have to talk to Brother Ronson or Brother Johnson or those guys about anything previous to 1950 because I don't, I don't go back that far. Brother St. Pierre will help you with the 60s and 70s. Pastor Bob will help you with the 20s and 30s, but we don't have... <laughs> We don't have anyone that will guide you beyond those years. Uh, previous to World War I, we'll tell you about what it says in the history books. But, but we can't give you the specifics on what was happening in the local church. But here's what I know. In my youth, we saw a continual group of young men that were surrendering and answering the call. Uh, we look back at that group from Rifle, Colorado in high school. We had no idea at the time. 13 of those young people would end up in full-time ministry. You're talking about a small high school, 25 kids, and half of them ended up with the calling from God and spread out all over the world. And only God can do that. No, no one could foresee that. It wasn't about the Bible classes or the chapel services. Who preached the youth conference? It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the God in heaven reaching down, calling young men and, and young people answering that call. And young people, here's what you want to do. You want to have the attitude of Samuel in the Bible with a heart and a, a ears that are tuned in and to the voice of God saying, God, whatever you want from me, whatever you have for me. And here's what I believe. God handpicks people with initiative and a desire to reach the lost, a love for souls. And there's an absence of this in our churches. 
And especially among our youth, you see initiative in making money. Boy, they'll tell you about online business they started and, and making all this money and uh, whether in and out of college or whatever they're doing, geniuses on how to make a buck. But when it comes to how to win a soul, fumbling and stumbling and bumbling around like uh, growing up in church never helped them. And God's looking for, God is looking for a young person with a little bit of Holy Ghost initiative that says, God, I want to be used. And if you look at those that God was calling in the Bible, they weren't sitting on their hands. They weren't uh, sitting around, piddling their thumbs, doing nothing. These are people that were busy, hardworking, focused, and had some kind of initiative that God could use. But if, if we have a generation with more focus on making money, and that's on the parents. I've never seen a generation of parents. I, I believe, Pastor Bob, uh, back when I was a kid, the average parent going to the average independent Baptist church felt a desire, oh God, use my child. There was, a, in a general sense, the average parent felt like it would be a privilege if their child was used in full-time service. How many of you go back far enough to remember that? That's changed. The average parent does not feel privileged, feels scared, nervous, petrified. Uh, son, I, I know what pastor says about ministry, uh, but I also know about my retirement plan, and you're included in that retirement plan because my company does not have a great retirement plan, so I've got you as plan A, and uh, second born as plan B, and uh, the company is plan C. That's a bad retirement plan. You ought to say, I want my kids to serve God and know the voice of God and understand the will of God. And here's what I don't think, young people. There's a general, there's almost a mystique to God's will and what God has for me. You don't have to go and search for God's will. If you stay surrendered and you tune your ear to the voice of God and you stay busy in the work of God. Here's what God does. God will place you and move you and build you and train you and equip you. And here's, here's what we like to do. We, we like to observe someone else's life, not knowing the challenges of their ministry, not knowing uh, all that they have to deal with. And there's a touch of envy Strangely, there, there's, one, there's one part of their life that we see and don't have that I would like. Maybe it's the accolades. Maybe it's the numerical success. Maybe it's the house or the car or the fame or the following. or the, Whatever it is, it's a very carnal. Anything that includes envy or jealousy is very carnal, fleshly based. And this isn't about me observing anyone else or their ministry. I've got a race to run. And for a while, it was Argentina. For a while, it was Mexico. Uh, now it's in Austin, Texas. I've got to concern myself with doing the very best that I can right now, exactly in the place that God has called me. I don't need to be concerned about anyone else. I, I don't need to be comparing ministries. I don't need to be comparing numerical success i don't need to be comparing programs or membership or offerings or buildings or
coffee shops or gymnasiums. I just say, God, am I shepherding the people that I'm supposed to shepherd? Am I growing the families that I'm supposed to grow? Am I building the ministries that I'm supposed to build? Young people, here's what you ought to say. Uh, There are some that are called at the age of five or six. Uh, I know Jonathan is convinced that God called him. He's a young boy uh, to the mission field. He thought at first he was going to Mexico. Now here's, here's what you don't need to be concerned about, parents, the details of their calling and their youth. God, if they truly are sensitive to the Spirit of God, God will uh, fix and guide and direct and show and reveal. I don't, I don't think anybody truly knew at 9 or 10 or 12 exactly where they're going to be. And here's what, man devised it this way, but God, there's a God in heaven. I believe there's a sovereign God in heaven that will direct his steps. And I look back at Chris and I think about over the course of his young life, I, I beg God, oh God, would you please uh, use my kids in full-time ministry. God, would you please around the world, wherever it is, and Chris's first uh, introduction to Daryl Covington, I remember we drove to Mexico and God began uniting our hearts and uh, on that trip, so many things, different things happened, but God began to direct Christopher's focus towards that part of the world. And here's what I want to do as a parent. I wanted him to hear the voice of God and confirm the calling of God. The calling of God may be revealed at a moment, but really, normally, it's, it's a thing that's developed over time. And that desire is placed in the heart of a person. And then God begins to show through different people and through different circumstances and through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God what that looks like and what that means. And I'm, I know a lot of people. Now, now this is just a, this is for Capital City Baptist Church. This is for you tonight. I know a lot of people that live disappointed because you think your dream exceeded God's dream and your plans exceeded God's plans and he just hung you out to dry. God knows exactly where you need to be today. Amen? Amen. No, God hasn't forgotten you. No, uh, you, you got to be very careful because in Chris's mind, he was headed to North Korea and we went over there and I... I asked Kim. We talked about it. She said, how do you feel about Chris going to the, one of the darkest countries in the whole world, one of the most unsafe countries in all the world? And we both came to the conclusion, if that's God's will for Chris's life, we're all pretty good with that. I was more concerned about the price of the tickets for us to get there than I was about the safety of him living there. And Daryl died, and God began to shut those doors, and he considered China, took a trip to China. The men that he was considering working with there got pushed out of China, and his mind was still over there. I remember that map he had up on his wall and the pins and the places and the, the study that he had done, the Chinese language courses that he'd taken and the Korean courses that he'd taken and the Bibles that he had ordered and all of that, and I begin to say, God, and they're never confused, never concerned. God, what, what direction are you leading all of this? And in 2017, we take a college trip to Ecuador, and 
God makes it clear to a group of our young men, this is where you're supposed to be. And now we go, just went there a couple weeks ago and experienced the church plan and saw what God has done. That's God. Yeah. Amen. I understand, God, God's got this figured out. And about the time you try to get ahead of him, about the time you hit the panic button, about the time you show confusion, God says, you need to calm down, just to calm down a little bit. I got this figured out. Now we look now at the property that they've been able to buy and the, the people and the rental space and, and everything else that God is doing there. And we say, God has a specific calling. And when a young person or any person has their heart in tune to his voice, he will guide them one day at a time, one step at a time through that process and through that preparation. And here's what most don't like to hear preparation. I occasionally talk to someone tells me about their calling, the minister of the mission field. And, and then I know you hear Jake Harold Smith. I read his biography. I heard he preached God's three deadlines. I, I shook his hand and signed up the, the biography that uh, I bought. And then someone maybe that's sitting here stole it. No bitterness in my heart. It's just gone. But you read that book, and a couple weeks after salvation, he's preaching a revival, and hundreds of people get saved. And his schedule from that point until death was full, and hundreds of thousands of people get saved. And you get some young man, read that book, and think, they're the next J. Harold Smith. There is no next J. Harold Smith. God has one J. Harold Smith. And if you read one of those biographies and think that's God's plan for your life, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Now, look, look what it says in Acts 11.25. We know the, the process. The, um, here's what I think. Is, is everyone okay here if I give you a little opinion? So... We understand he immediately went out and preached. I, he got busy right away. But the Bible tells us he was in Damascus for a while. There, there was about six or seven years there. Uh, Damascus and Arabia. And I know there's little confusion over Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is in Arabia. I believe God sent Moses to get the law. He put him up there on Mount Sinai for 40 days, him and Moses and God met, spent some personal time together. I believe God took Paul right back up to Mount Sinai in Arabia. They spent some personal time together. And he gave him salvation by grace through faith to be written of and explained to every New Testament church from his day to ours. There was a time of preparation. You don't have to share that belief. But I feel sorry for you if you don't. <laughs> Acts 11. Acts 11, verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And they taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And these days came the prophet from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Now here's what he was doing. We see these six or seven years... Uh, I believe Paul was helping grow that church at Damascus. I believe Paul was meeting with God. I believe Paul was preaching. That's what you see. Every time he comes up in the scripture, 
between now and his first missionary journey, he's out preaching and reaching people with the gospel of Christ. Young people, if you feel like God has a calling on your life, you know what you ought to be. You ought to be at every soul meeting. You ought to have tracks in your pocket. You ought to be witness, witnessing the street signs and street posts and people on every corner. You ought to be talking to your dog and preaching to your sister. You ought to be doing everything within your power to say, I want to be in preparation. You talk to young people about Bible college. Isn't it amazing? The world's out there preparing for their future. But Christians think that God uh, is, is high on choosing a knucklehead, a dumbbell, or a lazy bum. God is looking for someone that's busy. God is looking for someone that's in constant training. God is looking for someone that says, I want to make sure I use today, not waste today, so I'm prepared for tomorrow. Here's what Barnabas did. He took this young man that was on fire, took him to Antioch with all these young converts, and they just spent time discipling. And I wouldn't give you a nickel for someone who feels called to ministry and doesn't know how to disciple, never spent any time in discipleship, never taken a soul they won and brought them through. I, I know, I'm, I know semantics, young people. You hear uh, some preacher occasionally say, disciples not made in 12 lessons. If you don't know that, your IQ is very low anyways. Discipleship is helping grow that Christian. And you take them as far as you can, connecting with people that can take them as far as they can. Here's what Paul was doing. Someone that was heavily involved in this ministry. And here's what you see, chapter 13. Now God's going to send him forth. And young people, this is... This is not a burden. He was already burdened well enough that he was deeply involved in ministry. And I, I know this is a little random tonight, but I, I fear the longer I live, the more I fear people's burdens because burdens are based on emotion. I've seen a lot of people burdened. How many have ever been deeply burdened? And you said, I think God really might want me in New Guinea. And a week later you say, boy, that was a wild thing. No one's ever been there? That's good and bad. It's good that you've got a soft and tender heart. It's bad that you don't understand their emotions deep within the heart. That'll pull you a different way. And you ought to be burdened for all the people of the world. But you got to understand, if you're going to a country, you better have a call. Because a burden will keep you there at least a week or two. But it certainly won't place you permanently. Now, there wasn't a church that was at Antioch prophets. There was Barney. What a man. Simeon. What a leader. Lucius, Manan. I would love to have heard his testimony, how he'd been brought up with Herod. Can you imagine that upbringing, what he saw in that palace, what he heard? As they ministered to the Lord, as they ministered, who was God going to call up young people? Those who were busy ministering. As they ministered and fasted the Holy Ghost, 
Now, who does the calling? Who does the calling? Mama can't do the calling and daddy can't do the calling. The pastor can't do the calling. This is the Holy Ghost work in the heart of a person to reveal his will, his purpose in life. Now, once again, we're not talking about just to be a pastor. I believe God is going to call some more pastors out of this church, some more missionaries out of this church. But we're talking about from pianists, the musicians, the Sunday school teachers, the bus leaders, whatever. There is a multitude of calling, right? It doesn't put you on a pedestal because you're called to be a missionary and the other person's not. You just got to say, okay, what does God, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And you follow what God wants you to do and don't concern yourself with comparing your ministry, your calling, your future with someone else's. Now, what they did, what's it saying? All right, the Holy Ghost said, separate from me Barnabas and Saul for the work we're into. I have what? You ought to circle that, young people. The work, now, once again, avoid confusion. Calling is not to a place. Calling it to a work. I remember going to Bible college. I love Dr. Vineyard. But I believe there's a little confusion. He said the gifts and callings of God were without repentance. I believe that verse. I just don't believe the context he was trying to preach it. So God calls you to East Africa or Russia. And you ever leave that field, you're out of God's will. Well, my question was, I thought you worked as an assistant under four different men. And then moved to Oklahoma City. And then your son went to the Ivory Coast. And back in Oklahoma, was he out of God? No, no, he wasn't out of God's will. God, God's calling is to his work. Amen. He will direct you. And that ought to be obvious through the life of Paul because Paul went from place to place and God's work for him was a church planner and I don't think any missionary ought to try. I've heard people say, I think we ought to follow Paul's example. You are an idiot that are absolutely helpless. You're going to go preach a couple months and get beat and thrown into jail and run out of the city and go start another church and be there two months, six months. Oh, you, you park yourself. Yeah, he had one place that was 18 months and one place that was three years. But outside of those, a few months at a time, that's not a very good way to establish churches unless you're the Apostle Paul. And none of you here are the Apostle Paul. And you say, God, what's the work that you've called me to do? And that may be different ministries at different moments. It may be different locations. That's not the issue. The issue is knowing I just want to be obedient to God. And young people, every time you hear a message on the calling of God, the will of God, you know what you ought to do? Every young person ought to find themselves on an altar where they're in their face before God and say, God, I just want you to know I am willing to do whatever your desire and your plan and your will is for my life. I want to make sure my spiritual ears are cleaned out. I don't want to be doing my will going my way. That never turns out well. I only want to pursue that which you would have me to pursue, whether that's a mate or whether that's 
a career, whether that's a ministry, God, you show me what to pursue, and that's exactly what I will pursue. They ministered as they ministered, as they fasted. And when it comes to God's will, young people, here's a good way to sort through God's will. Dr. Vineyard was good at this. If you'd taken a couple weeks and prayed and fasted about that. Now, if you're confused, you're in a hurry, you know what fasting does, it slows time down. These people get in a hurry. I think I figured out God's will. This, this woman's God's will for my life. Okay, go fast 15 days over that. You may figure out the pizza's God's will for your life. Uh-huh. You may change your mind. You get old to God. I remember when I was in Bible college, I had a great conflict. When I went to Bible college, young man, I thought I was going to be a pastor. I went and took pastoral theology, and people asked me if I want to be a missions major. No, I have no intention of going into missions. I honestly felt like God was going to use me to be an evangelist. Can you imagine this Billy Goat voice in evangelism? And so I went. And about a year and a half in, God began to work in my heart about missions and the possibility. But I didn't know where uh, I was supposed to go, what I was supposed to do. But it seemed like everyone around me uh, was figuring out their calling except for me. And two and a half years in, Dr. Vineyard told me one Thursday night, I want to go soaking with you. And we went out. And he had, Dr. Vineyard, I, I love Dr. Vineyard, his endless love and burden for missions and for the world. And uh, previous to that, it was all the Ivory Coast. And then uh, later on, uh, about the 90s, the, the wall came down and you know, the Iron Curtain and, and Russia and Germany were open up. So all his focus turned to Russia. And so he sat in that vehicle and, and told me he had three books, large books. One of them had a lot of pictures, but a lot of reading as well. When you're in Bible college, you're working 40 hours a week and you're taking a full schedule, you don't have a lot of excess time for reading. But uh, he said, I want you to read these three books by next week. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Vineyard. He's a speed reader. I was not at the time. And uh, he said, I believe God may be calling you to Russia. Now, here's what I wanted. I wanted to have an open mind. And for the next 10 days, I didn't sleep because I had to do what he said, and I read every, as much of those books. I didn't read every page. I read as much of those books as I possibly could. I prayed about it. And uh, he said, uh, two weeks later, he said, uh, you ready to go soul winning? Yes, sir. I knew it. We, were, we weren't going soul winning. We were just going to talk about Russia. And we now visiting people knocking doors. He said, so you confirmed the call? Now, if for you to look Dr. Vineyard in the face and say, your calling is not my answer. Mm-hmm. I said, Dr. Vineyard, I've prayed about this and I've fasted about it. I read those books and I just don't believe that the, at the moment that's God's will for my life. It was all right for me. It wasn't all right for Doctor, but he, he shocked me. He surprised me. There was no rebuke. He just turned to me and said, well, have you considered the Ivory Coast? <laughs> I'm just so thankful he didn't have three more books for me to read. <laughs> now, 
Here's what God would do. God, God would bring us here and we'd work as assistant pastor and then he'd lead us to Argentina. If you would have told me back when I was in college that I would have spent five years in Argentina, nine years in Mexico, and 14 years in, in Austin, Texas, I had no idea that was God's path and God's direction and God's will for our life. But you know what God did? He guided us one day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time. Put it on our hearts and let us know exactly where we were supposed to be. And just like Brother Jean said tonight, this is not about you trying to get God onto your agenda and surrender to your will. This is about you saying, God, I want to work with you in whatever direction you're going, whatever plan you have, and whatever your desire is for my life. I want to fulfill that and do exactly what you have planned for me. Because here's the problem. There's always someone out there that they have God's will for your life figured out. I barely can keep up with God's will for my life. You've got to be very careful pretending like you know God's will for someone else's life. Well, they fasted and prayed. They went out. Now, go, go with me quickly to Acts 18. Uh, we'll cover one more. Quick spot here in Scripture before we finish. Young people, here's what God does too. God always works through the local church. God reveals his calling to the local church. Occasionally you have someone that's a lone ranger. And uh, the church knows. God, God lets the church know when someone has a calling and when they're prepared, when the time is right. How many have seen that? Well, you've been here 10 years or all 30 years. You've seen God do that. God reveals when and where and how. And there's no instant. God's calling is not like instant oatmeal. You just don't go pouring water, pop it in the microwave 30 seconds later. You got what you got. Christian church, not a microwave for instant Christians. You got to let God do his work. And uh, Acts 18, that's where we're going, right? Acts 18, verse 18. I want you to look at Paul and look at a little burden here. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. Then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his, shorn his head. And Centria, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue, reasoned with the Jews, for they desired him to tarry longer time with them. He consented not. And Bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep the feast that cometh in Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you this. We read chapter 26, Acts 26 this morning. I won't reread it, but we recently read Acts 9. God makes it clear, and Paul repeatedly says, God has called me as a prophet to the Gentiles. We know that. Not to the Jews. That was Peter. That was another man's ministry. But Paul could never quench that burden that he had for reaching the Jews. Now, let me tell you something about the church at Jerusalem. So you have the Great Commission, Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost. And from Acts 1-8 to Acts 8-1, eight years pass, God said, both at the same time. They got a late start. 
And it wasn't actually even their desire. It was a persecution. It was Saul that created so many missionaries out of the early church. The persecution was the hot button that propelled them outside of Jerusalem. But at this point, if you talk to historians, we know 3,000 saved at Pentecost, 5,000 saved after the man was healed in the temple. And from there, there was multiplication. And the guesses are anywhere from 50 to 80,000 Christians in Jerusalem. Now, we're not going to go by the law of percentages, what percentage of the city had heard or gotten saved. All we know is this was the first mega church, mega ministry. And it was incredible to see what God was doing. Now, the problem was that was not fulfilling God's command. The command was Judea, Samaria, Acts chapter 9 and 10. Now we're going to see Cornelius. We're going to see Peter starting to branch out. We're going to see Philip. Uh, getting out and preaching in these areas. And eventually, the word would spread abroad. But there was a disobedience to that command. Now, when you look at Saul, he keeps veering back and looking at Jerusalem. Paul, that's not your ministry. That's not your mission field. That's not your calling. That's your burden. Now, I know there's a debate, but at the end of the day, when you look at Scripture, to me, it couldn't be more plain. God's purpose for Paul was to reach Asia and the rest of the known world with the gospel. And guess what? Without tracks, printing presses, modern technology, TV, or radio, he managed to do that. What a miracle! But I think he prematurely shortened his ministry through a burden that was pulling him off track. Look what it says. He's, now, this is the same man that's written Colossians 2 and Galatians 4 and talked about the customs and the law and grace. And suddenly he has fought with the disciples in Acts 15 and rebuked Peter and said, this is not about the temple, temple laws and temple worship and the celebration of days. And suddenly where and what do we find Paul doing? Now, look what happens to Paul. Look what he says. I uh, Go to chapter 20, verse 22. Now behold, Paul says, I go bound in the Spirit. Is that a capital S or a small s? Young people, you better be careful about what you do bound in the Spirit. I've done a couple things bound in the Spirit, and then I realized it was the Spirit of my flesh. It was the Spirit of a burn. It wasn't a bad thing. I didn't want to do the wrong thing. Matter of fact, I put a spiritual face on it. It was just my burden, my desire being forced on God as if it were his will. Now behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Well, we know what befell you there, and it wasn't good. As soon as you step foot into the temple, you're going to be arrested and your ministry basically is going to come to a premature end. Look what it says in chapter 21, verse 4. Finding disciples, we tarried there seven days. 
who sent the Paul through thee, what? Anybody realize the capitalization here is different? Is this speaking about the spirit of a man or the spirit of God? They said to Paul through the spirit that he should what? Now, if the spirit of God tells you it's not a good idea to go to Jerusalem, it's not a good idea. Now, if he tells you once, it's not a good idea. If he tells you repeatedly, it's really a bad idea. Look what it says in chapter 21, verse 11. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle, this Agabus, the prophet, took Paul's girdle, he bound his own hands and feet, and he said, Thus saith who? The Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard these things, both we and they in that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul said, What mean ye to weep? Man, I'm used to getting busted up, beat up, and jailed, and imprisoned, and one of these days I'm going to be killed. So what's the big deal? God has a calling on your life. It won't happen in a day. You go through a process. He'll place you. That calling is not to a place, but to a work and a ministry. God will guide you through his word and through his spirit and by way of his church. And whatever you do for the work of God will be done through the local church. And church, let me remind you, Always be aware of the lone stranger that thinks he's going to do the will of God apart or aside from his local church. That's never God's plan. That's never God's will. But here's what you want to be careful of. In your search for God's will, no matter what stage of life you're in, you say, thank God for the fact that I still get burdened for places all around the world. But just because I'm burdened doesn't mean that's where God is placing me. God made it clear this is your calling. And Paul could never shake the burden to preach and win souls in Jerusalem. So you know what he does? He makes a vow. We're talking about for years he talked about the law and the transition from the law to grace. He'd preached it, taught it, argued with the disciples, and written epistles about it. And now he's shaving his head, going to Jerusalem, saying, I'm bound in my spirit. And here come men of God and a prophet of God and say, the spirit of God is telling you that's a bad idea. And Paul, the great man that he was, the great Christ that he was, may have left some fruit on the tree because he let a burden distract him from a calling. I hope everyone here has the same desire. God, with the time I have left, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to serve? You need to say, I want to do this for my local church. I want to make sure I'm right in the center of God's will. I want to make sure because all of you, here's what happens. That burden, which is a gift from God, you need to stay burdened. You need to live burdened. You need to make sure that you never confuse a burden with a calling. You end up in a bad spot.